All right, well, we are in a series. You might forget that we were in a series because we took a break from that series, but we're back in that series. One we started in January. It's called Follow, and this is technically episode four of that series, and we're talking about following Jesus. What does it mean to follow Jesus? What does that look like? Look like. So uh, I'm going to give you a quick recap. We said a couple of things that are, I think, relevant to all of us, and this is a quick refresher for you. So uh, please feel free to go to intoone.ca, go to our sermon archive, and you can go back and you can watch or you can listen to the previous episodes. But the refresher. All of Jesus' first century followers, all of them were unbelievers. All of them were sinners. Every single one of them And so his invitation to follow is for unbelievers and sinners. So you qualify. Isn't that great? It wasn't until the very end that the people who were right around him and who touched him and ate with him and heard him, spent time with him, actually came to their full-blown faith. So if you have questions and if you have doubts, you are still invited to follow Jesus. We want all of you, we want all of us to begin to lean into the teachings of Jesus, to become followers regardless of where you are in your lifestyle and regardless of where you are in your obedience and regardless of where you are in your knowledge, regardless of where you are in your faith, follow. Last episode, we answered this question. If we are following Jesus, then where are we going? We said that the bottom line, as you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and ask the question, where is this going? Where is Jesus leading this? What's Jesus' primary message? It was simply this, that faith in God overwhelms fear. That's the practical living. Now, you, you ask most people, and they say, well, Jesus' endgame well, must be heaven, right? And, and that's there. But when you actually read the words of Jesus that's not the full force. That's not the, the, the key of his message ongoing. And it's not become a better person, although there is that in what Jesus is teaching as well. The primary message that drives underneath, that comes above and below, uh, is that he wanted you to have faith that's big in God, so big, confidence in God, so big that, that in the midst of circumstances that, are, that we are fearful, we would have such a great confidence in God that we would be able to obey the thing that he said the most, which is fear not. Fear not. So that was last episode. Now we're going to talk about another question, another question for today, and here's the question. What should Jesus' followers wear? All right? And I know, honestly, you've been dying to to get to this, right? This is our fourth episode, and you're like, Graham, I want to become a follower of Jesus, but I just don't know what to wear. Uh, Why is it taking us so long to get to this point? So today, relax. We're going to answer the question that I know has kept you up since we began this series. What should Jesus' followers wear? And this is important, okay? Because as you know, someone uh, who follows someone or something, you can frequently tell who they're following by what they wear. I think that you've seen this before. It's come up. So really quick quiz. Uh, We're going to show you some pictures, okay? And you're going to tell me, uh, the the people, 
who uh, these people are following, okay? So you can type it in the chat if you're church online. You can call it out if you're here so that I can hear you, or if you're uh, other people in the room with you, tell each other what the answers are, okay? So who are these people following right here? Toronto Maple Leafs, and they can use all the help they can get. Uh, okay, next one, a little bit trickier. Who are these people following? What, what kind of a team are they following? Soccer, right? A little bit harder. Um, now, sports fans aren't the only ones. They're not the only group of people that lets you know who they follow by what they wear. Religious people do this all the time, right? So, next question, maybe a little bit harder. Who is this person following? Oh, you're scared now, right? <laughs> Prophet Muhammad, all right? Who are these guys following? Buddha, yeah, those are Buddhist priests. Again, amping it up, a little bit more challenging. Who are these guys? What are they following? Sikhism. They're Sikhs. This is the fifth largest religion in the world, and it is growing like crazy. Brings us to our question. What should Christians wear? You know what? In this climate right now, let's go farther than that. Let's not use that word. What should Jesus followers wear? If you know somebody who is following by, by what they wear, what should a Jesus follower wear? So we have a variety of options, a couple of them at least. So here is the first one, number one. Does that look right? Let's go down the other side of the spectrum. How about this? Yeah, God hates you. <laughs> Makes me just want to run in your direction, right? I want to be just like you. Those are two ends culturally that people see. They say those are the, that's the spectrum for many people. In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul tells us what Jesus' followers are supposed to wear. Now, that should make you a little bit nervous because he was writing like 2,000 years ago before the invention of zippers or buttons or Velcro. Uh, he tells us what to wear. Now, a little context for our buddy Paul. The Apostle Paul came into history known as Saul of Tarsus, and that means Saul from Tarsus, right? You may, what you may appreciate about him, Saul hated Christians. They weren't called Christians originally, but he hated those people. In the New Testament, we got Matthew, we got Mark, Luke, and John. Those are the four stories, the four Gospels about Jesus. And then right after them, there's the book of Acts, A-C-T-S. And that's the story of what happened after Jesus left, and that's when we meet the Apostle Paul, the historical figure. Paul was famous, or Saul was famous for being a Christian hunter. He hunted Christians down to put them in jail and to see them put to death. So if you hate Christians, he hated them more. If you would like to see some Christians put in jail, you should read the teachings of the Apostle Paul because he felt that way. <clears throat> he wanted to put all of Christianity out of business. He was going to squash that new Jewish cultic knockoff religion, fakers, fake religion, 
He was going to get rid of the whole thing. And then in the process of putting Christians in prison, he actually became one. That's when they changed his name from Saul to Paul. And then he started planting all these little churches. And then he began writing letters to those little churches to coach them along and to help them to follow Jesus more completely. So the thing is, everything the Apostle Paul knew about the teachings of Jesus, he learned not from Jesus because he wasn't one of Jesus' followers when Jesus was on the planet. He was actually a follower, follower of the people who followed Jesus. So he knew Matthew, and he knew John. He definitely knew Luke. He traveled all over the, ro- all over the world with Luke. He knew G- Jesus' mothers probably. He knew Peter for sure, and they met up on more than one occasion. He knew all of these guys, and, and, and so he got the teachings of Jesus from the people that got the teachings from Jesus. And so he begins to flesh out the teachings of Jesus. He would take what Jesus taught and then make it even more practical for these Gentile Christians, Gentile, non-Jewish, like most of us. (coughs) Primary teaching of Jesus um, that the Apostle Paul leveraged over and over and over again. It's It's the subject of most of his letters. He comes back to it. Something that Jesus said right at the very end of his time on earth. It's a story uh, where Jesus, uh, Judas was just about to betray Jesus. You might be familiar with that story. We're going to talk about that story in a couple of weeks. And Jesus is close to being arrested. And he gathers his closest followers, his guys, his apostles together, and he tells them, look, I got to go. I'm about to head out, and where I'm going, you can't follow He focuses on the main thing of all the main things that he would teach them in terms of practical follow-me kind of living. So here's what he said. I'm sure, again, you've heard this before. John chapter 13, verse 34. A new command I give you to love one another. And then he ups the bar. As I have loved you, you must love one another. If you forget everything else I say, you are to love one another. He says to these guys, you are, not, you are to love one another, not the way you love each other. You're not supposed to one another the way you want to one another. You are to one another the way I have one another. You're to take your cue from me. He might have said to Matthew, Matthew, you remember that day? We walked up, you're at work collecting taxes. Peter was there. Peter wanted to spit on you. But before he could spit on you, Matthew, before you had changed a thing, Matthew, before you had changed anything that you believed about me, before you're even sure what I'm about, Matthew, would you follow me? Would you join my crew? Would you roll with my posse? You remember that, Matthew? Remember how you felt that day, Matthew? Yeah. Well, I want you to love these guys the way that I loved you that day. Not just Matthew, though. What about you, Nathaniel? Right? Remember what you said about me? First thing you said, you remember? Very first thing came out of your mouth about me. You remember this, Nathaniel? I'm sure you do. Yes. Here's what it was, Nathaniel. 
I remember this specifically. Hey, John, you might want to write this down. Bring this back up later on. Can anything good come from Nazareth? One comment. You dissed my whole family, my city, my relatives, me. You remember you said that about me, Nathaniel? Yeah. Okay, you remember how I responded? I said, Nathaniel, follow me. Okay, so when I say that I want you to love as I've loved, that's the kind of love that I'm talking about. And then he said this, and this is just the part that uh, just drove so much of what the Apostle Paul would teach to these new Christians in these new uh, churches that he would be planting. Verse 35, just the next verse down. By this, this kind of love, loved the way I loved you. Verse 35, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. And disciple is just a follower. It's just your disciples, so what do you do? You follow, you follow, you follow. That's what you do. He says by this kind of unusual love, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. In other words, this is the mark. This is the mark of Christ. This is what people are going to see. This is how I want people to distinguish you. This is the thing about you that I want them to look at and the thing that I want them to see and to feel and to experience and to go, oh, they must be a follower of Jesus. The whole love one another thing, we've heard it so many times and Jesus says, look, this isn't just a throwaway, okay? This isn't just a religious line. This isn't my tag or my brand line. This isn't something you just blend into some worship song. I'm telling you, I want this to mark you, the mark of Christ on you. And here's the problem. In all religions, Christianity, you name it, whatever they are, all the religions, I'm just going to pick on us because we're in this room, all religions gravitate the gravitational pull is away from treating people well and towards some kind of routine or ritual. The gravitational pull of religion is always toward rule-keeping rather than relationship building. All religions, and I'll tell you why, because then I am in control when it comes to rule-keeping. And I would rather God love me because I did this or I did this, and then I never did that, and I always apologized when I, when I did this. I, I asked for forgiveness after that, so I create this religion where I can make things right with me and God, so me and God are always cool. We're, we're in a good relationship, but somehow at the same time, I believe that it's okay for me to hate you as long as I love God. I just want to make sure that we all hear this, okay? We have to fight this as Christians, as Jesus followers, because the gravitational pull of all religion is towards some sort of tradition. And traditions can be good. It's towards some kind of a ritual. And rituals can be good. It's towards some, some sort of rule-keeping scheme, and keeping rules can be good. All of these things that replace the priority of treating people well it gets so bad that some of you, this would be your story. Some of you have been mistreated in the name of religion. Some of you have been mistreated in the name 
of Jesus. And Jesus just knew, if I just leave these guys the way it is, it's, it's going to become one of those religions. And they're going to say, Jesus, it should be about Jesus. Let's all teach what Jesus taught. And let's, let's try to do what Jesus did. And we'll, we'll talk about Jesus. And now I don't have to treat you nice as long as I just figure out the formula to make Jesus happy with me. So he says, okay, let me just be really, really clear. The thing, the thing, the mark that is going to distinguish you, the thing that should be a stamp on your behavior, a stamp on your lifestyle, is the way that you love other people. I'm not asking you to love them like they deserve to be loved. I'm asking you to love them the way that I have loved you. And don't you ever try to substitute some ritual rule-keeping tradition because that's not the thing. That's not the mark I want to distinguish you and to characterize you as one of my followers. So Christianity in particular, it is so easy. It is so easy to confuse discipline with discipleship. And again, discipleship is just a fancy word for followship, all right, to follow Jesus. It's so easy to confuse as long as I have my disciplines. I, ha I have my prayer time. I go to church, right? And I don't, but I do, and then I do, but I don't, and I'm becoming a more disciplined person that somehow all of that substitutes for actually following Jesus as it relates to how we treat other people. It might just be why some of you haven't gone to church in a while. Because you met too many church people, right? It's why some of you don't read your Bible. Because the person that you know that knows the most of Scripture is the meanest person you know. So crusty. So cranky. I'm just telling you, it's, it's not necessarily their fault, okay? All religion gravitates towards rule-keeping and away from relationship development and maintenance. And I'm telling you why. Because it's easier, so much easier. It's so much easier to check off a list, right? I did that, I did that. It's so much easier to do that than it is to love people who are hard to love. So 20 years goes by since Jesus says that. Not 120 years, okay? That's, oh, people say this, right? It's just oral tradition. He said it. Everything got changed. The people who wrote the Bible, they got it all mixed up. They don't know what they're doing. Somebody told you that, like in freshman English class or whatever, and you never bothered to investigate it. But it's not true, okay? 20-something years later, 22 years later, really, after Jesus, 22 years later, the Apostle Paul is now a Christian, and he is traveling. He is going all around the Mediterranean Rim, walking into synagogues and saying, hey, God has done something unusual, unbelievable in Jerusalem. Jesus has come, and Jesus is the Messiah. It's finally happened. And the Jewish people in the synagogue frequently pick him up, throw him out. And then about eight Nine people sneak out at night, and they say, we want to hear more about what you're saying. And then Paul would, would take those Jewish people, and he would take some of the Gentile people that he'd also had contact with, put them together, and they would start a church. 
He'd stay there for a little bit, and then he would get back on a ship, and he goes across the Mediterranean Sea, all around the Mediterranean Rim, doing this over and over and over again. And he begins to coach them through these letters that he writes. And he gets feedback from them. And he starts to see them doing all the very thing that all religious people do. That they've come up with some sort of a formula. They have a, a tradition. They say, that's how we do it. And that's not how we do it. And, and, and they begin to use their religion as an excuse to mistreat people. So in all of his, in so many of his letters, it's all about, let's go back to basics, okay? And, and it's not just, um, instead of just saying love one another, although he does say that in his uh, epistles, the Apostle Paul took this idea of loving each other and he cracks it open and he uses specific uh, words and he gave us adjectives and he gave us nouns and he said these are the kinds of things that should characterize a Jesus follower. So in the book of Colossians, which is really just a letter that he wrote to the church in the city of Colossae, which is about 160 kilometers away from the city of Ephesus, a really important city at that time. In that letter he wrote, he, he talks about this. Here's uh, how you're to love. This is what it's supposed to look like. But he specifically relates it to what Jesus' followers are supposed to wear. So the book of Colossians, chapter 3, starting at verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, so now he's talking to Christians, right? Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves. There it is. Clothe yourselves. I want, I want to tell you what to wear. I, I want to tell you how to clothe yourself. So it, it ain't going to be Christian t-shirts, okay? Clothe yourself. And then he gives us these very, very specific things. And there's this imagery that somehow Jesus' followers are to mentally and maybe even emotionally, spiritually put these things on. And here's what he lays out to clothe you. Again, Colossians 3, verse 12. So just continuing on with that same verse. Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. So in the Greek text, which is what we translate from here, there are actually two terms that are translated into making compassion. The phrase that we use in the English language, you know this one, right? It's, I love you with all of my heart. But in Greek culture, they didn't say that. They don't say, I love you with all of my heart. They literally say, and this is a little bit gross, frankly, love you with all of your bowels, Okay, all of your guts, all right? I love you with all of my guts, all of your bowels, the inside, the innermost part of you. And so these two words come together, and what that means is that you are to clothe yourself with this sense of something. Um, every one of you has experienced at some point in your life that sense of, oh, when your heart breaks and you feel compassion, and you don't feel it up here, right? You feel it down here, not in your chest, but down in the inside of you. Maybe you should try this at home, okay, when you're putting the kids to bed. Today, say, sweetheart, I love you with all of my bowels. Could be a very tender moment for you, a teaching moment. Maybe not. That probably won't go as well as I might think. Uh, anyways, that's the idea. And this is, this is sometimes the, the, the problem with translation. You can't just uh, translate words. Sometimes you have to translate 
ideas. So Paul said, I want you to clothe yourself with a sense of compassion that you actually give off the idea that you feel what other people feel, what they're going through, that you feel what they are experiencing regardless of the fact that they were wrong, maybe. Regardless of the fact that they could have kept that from happening to them, regardless of the fact that they didn't listen to you the first three times, you know, we all make excuses as to why we don't extend compassion. And he goes on to uh, add another word. Clothe yourself with compassion and kindness. In this context, you want to know what kindness is? Kindness is, in when, is, is when you loan your strength to someone else. That's what kindness is. Kindness is when you extend yourself. You loan them your strength. He said, I want you to, to put on this new habit. Dress yourself in this, this new approach to life. Put on compassion and kindness. And then he said, I want you to put on humility. Zip up some humility as you get in. Now again, this is in context um, with another person, so we all kind of know what humility is like, but we're trying to think of it as what is it like in relationship to other people. So humility in relationship to other people, really simple. It's seeing myself as I am in relationship to other people and to God, viewing myself accurately. Viewing yourself accurately as you are in relationship to these other people and to God. The accurate view of myself in relationship to other people is that I am nothing more than a citizen of humanity, just like the rest of you. And the fact that I can jump a little higher doesn't change the fact that we were all born into this world naked. We don't have any control of when. We don't have any control of where we're born, who we're born to, and most of us don't control when we die. There is an equality among other human beings. But the thing that makes you special, the thing that makes me special, isn't that you've got more money. It's not that you've got more talent. It's not that I have more opportunity or that you were born into a better family. What makes you special, the same thing that makes me special, that we are loved by God the Father. Humility allows me to approach you as a peer no matter what you do, no matter what you don't do, no matter how much you have or don't have doesn't matter how old you are. There is a sense that it doesn't matter how much I've accomplished or how much, how little I've accomplished. We are peers in this world who live under the canopy of God's love. In that, we are all the same. And Paul says, now look, when, when people interact with you, especially, especially if you've accomplished a lot, when people interact with you, especially if you are famous in your industry or your company or your department, your division, when people interact with you and you are the captain of the team, people interact with you and you've got more money than anybody else in the group or anybody else in the room, I want you to come across as someone who understands that's not what makes you special. You're essentially like everybody else in the room. What makes you special is what makes them special, that God has invited all of us to call Him Heavenly Father. He loves you unconditionally. He said, I want you to exude that kind of humility. Then he goes on, gentleness. 
This is a great word. Gentleness is the decision to respond to you in light of your strengths and your weaknesses instead of responding to you in light of my strength. Gentleness is deciding to come to your level of strength or weakness or understanding as we interact as opposed to coming to you with my strength. It's the difference between picking up a contact lens with the end of your finger or picking up a baseball with the palm of my hand. I have the capacity to do both, but I'm going to adjust my approach and I'm going to adjust my strength according to the object of my strength. So you know what that means? It means that gentle people don't come into a conversation and they don't maintain the relationship from a position of who they are, what they've done, their knowledge and their insight and their background and their accomplishments. They gear down to the level of the person. It's not condescending. It has nothing to do with being condescending. It has everything to do with communicating this. Are you ready? That my relationship with you is more important than you being impressed by me. That my relationship with you is more important than you knowing just how powerful I am. My relationship with you is more than uh, more important than you knowing my full capacity, my full knowledge, my full strength, and I'm going to adjust for your benefit. Gentleness, then patience. We all know what this is. Patience is basically deciding. It's a decision. Patience is deciding to go the speed of another person. That's all it is. Patience is gearing down again, gearing back. And determining that I'm going to move at your speed instead of you having to move at mine. And Paul says, this is the stuff I want you to strap on every morning. This is what I want you to be known for. This is what I want you to be known for. And then he summarizes with a couple of basic thoughts. Colossians 3, 13. Bear with each other. And forgive one another. If any of you have a grievance against someone, and, and he strings it right back to what Jesus taught throughout his ministry, forgive as you have been forgiven. Like by the people you're forgiving? No. Because none of this is related to that. He says, I want you to forgive as the Lord forgave you. All of this. I want you to be compassionate like God was compassionate with you. And I want you to be gentle like God was gentle with you. And I want you to be patient like God has been patient with you. Remember how many times you said, God, okay, I never will. And then you did it again. Remember how many times you broke a promise to God? Do you know how patient God has been with you? I want you to extend that. I want you to be known for extending that same kind of patience to the people around you. And then he summarizes it this way. And over all these things, like, like an overcoat or, or a vest, 14, and over all of these virtues, put on love, 
which binds them all together in perfect unity in, into oneness. And here's the umbrella idea. This is the canopy under which all of these things hang, and it's called love. Love is the summary word. It's the summary idea for everything that I've just listed for you to put on every day. So th- that's the list, right? This is your follow wear. That's the Apostle Paul's uh, clothing brand, follow wear. <laughs> but honestly, maybe you're like me in this. When I'm doing all of that, when I'm putting all of that on, come on, how am I, gonna get, how am I actually going to get anything done? I mean, come on, is this even possible in this world to be able to live like that? And the thing that allows me to lean into this and say it's possible and to take it seriously is the one who said it, right? This was a guy who accomplished more in a few years than you will accomplish in your lifetime. The guy who made this suggestion is the guy who got on a boat that you wouldn't dream of getting on. He went through dangerous places. He got beaten up. He got uh, stones thrown at him, got stoned, got snake bit, shipwrecked. And it goes on and on and on throughout his life. And the reason that we're here today is not because of what he thought. And it's not because of what he wrote. It's because of what he did what he lived out, and he did it all without electricity, internet, or Advil. Unbelievable. The point is, it's possible, but it's not natural. It's not going to happen overnight. But I think Paul, if he were here, would say, oh yeah, I'm with you guys on this every day. Every day I have to remind myself, Paul, you type A, can't take no for an answer kind of guy. Put on compassion. Strap on some gentleness. Zip up your humility. Put these things on because Jesus told us, I want people to identify you as my follower, not because of what you do at Sunday morning at 10 a.m. I want people to identify you as my follower by the way you treat other people. Now, the problem that we get to here is that a sermon like this Hopefully I made it a little bit interesting. Maybe I even made you laugh. I showed you some pictures, but now you're going to go to lunch. And, and, and then you're going to say, oh, that was, that was good. You know, maybe I'm giving myself a little bit of credit there. And then, then you're going to go back into your world and you're going to say, I wonder what they're going to do for us next week. Hope next week's going to be good. And I forget it all. It was good in that moment. It was good while I was there. It was good while I was logged in. But now I forgot it. I understand that. The, the goal here is not to know it. It is actually to put these things on. So I came up with a way to help you remember these things. Here's your phrase. Chick flick PG. All right? There you go. That's it. Chick flick PG. This is your memory device. won't be totally grammatically accurate. Spelling is off a little bit, but it's still going to work, and it's your memory trigger. So I, I did put kindness in there twice just to make it work out, and that's fine because some of you are going to need a double dose of that anyways. You can write your own. If this one doesn't work for you if, you, if you have your own idea, do it. When you start your day, though, when you're getting ready for work, when you're getting ready for school, for whatever it is, prepare yourself, style yourself, fix your hair, clothe yourself. Now, God, today I want to put on compassion. I don't want to just immediately react with, well, you should have. I want to at least pause 
and for people to sense that. And God, humility, oh, I declare that even though I am better than some and not as good as others, it doesn't matter because in your eyes, we're all still your children. I'm not going to leverage my strength that you have given me that gives me a slight advantage. God, I'm not going to do that anymore. God, I want to be kind. God, just bring to my mind these opportunities I have to loan my strength to other people and to be kind. God, this is even harder to forgive. God, help me to forgive not because they deserve it, but because you forgave me. And the only way I'm going to be able to do this, God, is if, if I can put on love, which holds all of these things together. Back to K, kindness. No doubt I'm going to forget that again. I better come back to that one. Please remind me that I, that I am choosing to put on kindness. I'm going to loan my strength today. God, help me move at other people's pace. Help me to be patient. Then, teach me to be gentle. I want to, I want to put on gentleness. I want to listen And when I respond, I want to respond at their level of strength and capacity instead of just leveraging mine. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm putting it on. Chick flick, PG. Chick flick, PG. Chick flick, PG. I can't believe that you took the time to come to church today and you didn't bother to get dressed properly. So go home and get dressed. And get dressed tomorrow. And remember, chick flick, PG. Chick flick, PG. PG. You can do that. You can remember it and you can choose to respond to it. Here's the thing, and I understand this. I know this doesn't come naturally. And the reason I know it doesn't come naturally is Jesus at the end said, okay guys, I'm going to tell you something new. If it was natural, he wouldn't have had to tell them, would he? They would already just be doing it because that's what you do when something is natural. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to love not the way that people deserve to be loved. I want you to love like I've loved you. And that's not natural. That's why I'm telling you it's a new, not a suggestion. It's a new command. And I want this to be the thing. I want this to be the mark that distinguishes you from the people around you. Of course it's not natural. And that's why the Apostle Paul said, Therefore, as God's chosen people and dearly loved, clothe yourself. you got to do it. It doesn't just happen. It is a command. I want you to do. This is something you've got to do. It's a choice that you're going to have to make. In the morning, God, I want to put this stuff on, and when I screw it up again and I forget, God, I want to choose to put it on again. I want you to filter my personality through this stuff. I want you to filter the fact that I have a to-do list, and if I don't get my list done, I can't sleep. I want you to filter that through these new things that I am putting on. And the less like you any of these things are, the more noticeable they become. Besides, what's your option? with your rules and your rituals? Is it to make a point? Jesus didn't come to make a point. He could have been here 15 minutes and been gone. 
No need to die on a cross to make a point. Jesus showed up to make a difference. And the church is here to make a difference. And Christians have been called to make a difference. And you already know this because you're smart or you wouldn't be here. You understand this. The difference is made in culture. And the difference is made in your marriage. And the difference is made with your kids. And the difference is made with your parents. And the difference is made at work. And the difference is made in our community when people sense a genuine compassion, an extraordinary kindness, a gentleness that they they know that just seems beyond our capability. The difference is made when we love people the way our Heavenly Father loved us through Christ Jesus, His Son. So I would just say this to those of you, maybe they don't attend church regularly. Maybe this is your first time back and who knows how long. The reason for the separation, probably because you met too many of us who were undressed or half-dressed. Christians who had the routine down and, and, and they had a ritual and they had the right words. They seemed to have all the right answers. They just, they just weren't dressed properly. And I'm sorry. But I hope that you will never abandon your quest to be a follower of Jesus simply because you met some of us who didn't take the time to get dressed in the morning. So I got an idea. Let's us, all of us tomorrow, let's clothe ourselves with chick flick PG. Chick flick PG, compassion, humility, kindness, forgiveness, love, Kindness again, patience, gentleness. And you know what will happen? I think you already know this. And some of you have a story that would illustrate this. It will make a difference. It'll make a difference. It'll make a difference because just as God's overwhelming love made a difference in you, God's overwhelming love will make a difference through you as you clothe yourself with love. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you so much. Thank you so much for preserving these ancient words for us. Ancient maybe, but it feels like they could have been written yesterday. It still seems so incredibly applicable to where we are as people. It doesn't matter if it was 2,000 years ago. And Father, some of us have been... Some of us have been the victims of misguided religious people. Others of us have been a part of perpetrating terrible things on people. All kinds of rejection in the name of religion. Sometimes in the name of Jesus. Oh God, we're so sorry. So now give us the wisdom to know what to do with what we have heard. And then the courage and the boldness to do it. To live it out as we continue to endeavor to become followers of our Lord and our Savior. And it's in His name that we pray these things. Amen.